0: Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast where I talk about medicine in the context of the media. This whole month of February, the month of love, I've been talking about sexual and reproductive health. And so, in this episode, we are going to wrap that up. Today, we have more of a focus on men's health. And I actually had the idea for this episode when speaking to a friend about the final season of Sex Education on Netflix. If you haven't seen the show, I love it. It is one of my favorite shows. It's about a teenage boy whose mom is a sex therapist, and he started providing sex therapy to his high school classmates. The plot line that I'm going to describe is definitely not a spoiler. So this happens in the last season, and basically, one of the characters named Jackson is having sex with a partner and she notices a lump on his testicle. He goes to the doctor and there's a little plotline of him getting worked up and worrying about having cancer but finding out the lump is benign or non-cancerous. My friend brought this up because she was like, this is such a random plotline and it's so weird to give a teen a cancer scare. Like, do teens even get testicular cancer? I will say, after multiple amazing perfect seasons, The last season felt like a collection of random plot lines in general, and it was pretty disjointed, and this one felt kind of like an afterthought also. So I do agree that this felt like a random plot line in the context of the show and that it didn't really add anything to the story. But even though the plot line didn't add much to the season, it was a good idea in theory because testicular cancer is the most common solid tumor affecting males between the ages of 15 and 35 though it only accounts for about 1% of all cancers in men. It does specifically affect this age range, so I thought it was a good idea in theory for the show, connecting with a young audience, and I thought because of that, it was a good thing to talk about here because you don't talk about it much. So even though it was brought up on sex education, the person I wanna highlight in this podcast episode is actually not Jackson Marchetti from the show, But someone who, in my mind, probably in many people's mind, is truly the face of testicular cancer. He was diagnosed in the 90s at the age of 25. And this is American cyclist Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong was a huge celebrity athlete in the early 2000s for his athletic accomplishments, which were already so impressive, but made even more so by the fact that they happened so shortly after he had beat testicular cancer that doctor said he had no chance of surviving. You may remember the iconic Livestrong bracelet, which was a yellow silicone wristband that said Livestrong on it. And these were sold as a fundraiser for Lance Armstrong's Cancer Research Foundation. These were so popular. These yellow silicone bands were like the coolest thing you could be wearing. And these were the first of like people wearing a million wristbands up their entire arms. It started with the Livestrong bracelet. Anyways, let's talk a little bit more about Lance Armstrong's experience so we can get into testicular cancer. First, I'm just going to read a couple excerpts from an article that was printed in ESPN's magazine in 1998 called Raising the Demon. So, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer in October 1996, less than a month after his 25th birthday. He didn't think to call a doctor when he first felt the pain. He ignored it until he found himself standing over his bathroom sink watching blood stream from his mouth. Sure, his right testicle had hurt, but what could you expect when you sat on a bike saddle for 5 or 6 hours a day? You have to understand cyclists. They have a ritualized affection for pain. They take it and assign it to some barren outpost within the brain. So that's what Lance did until the night he saw the blood. It was late at night when he was rushed in after hours for tests. He expected a virus treatable with antibiotics and a little rest. Sitting in The underground quiet of an empty doctor's office, all alone except for the man who brought the news, Armstrong cried and cried and swore it couldn't be true. First, the diagnosis, testicular cancer. The next day, a testicle was removed. Twelve tumors, some as big as golf balls, were found in his lungs. Cancer was found in his abdomen, multiplying cells on a rampage, advancing northward like a panzer division. Doctors ordered chemotherapy and an MRI. It showed two lesions in his brain. Within weeks of his original diagnosis, he flew to Indianapolis for brain surgery. Okay, that touches on his initial symptoms, his diagnosis, and the treatment he got right off the bat and how quickly it happened. It was apparent he had symptoms for quite some time, feeling that testicular pain, but for him, it was so easy just to attribute the pain to his lifestyle. He was always sitting on a bike, and I'm sure it was not such an unusual kind of pain. So it was really a wake-up call for him that he needed medical attention when he was literally coughing up blood. When we think about cancer in general, we think about the local effect it has. So for him, locally, it's testicular pain. It affects the location where it's at. And we think about more distal symptoms, so symptoms in other parts of the body. Cancer can have a widespread effect without physically spreading through its impact on your immune system or your hormones, but it can also literally move to other organs, like in Lance Armstrong's case, his lungs and his brain and cause symptoms again just by the fact that they're in that location, disrupting normal function. So his cancer was all over the place, in his lungs, in his abdomen, in his brain. At the time it was found, it was pretty advanced and it was very serious. There were doctors quoted who took care of him at that time, saying they really thought he had no chance of survival. But not only did he survive cancer, but he made a comeback to cycling 16 months after surgeries he had in February of ninety seven. So He was diagnosed in 96, had surgeries in February of 97. And 16 months later, he started his big comeback. And between 1999 and 2005, he won seven back-to-back Tour de France titles. He was later stripped of those titles for doping, which is another interesting medical topic we could talk about another time. But yeah, doping or not, the fact that he survived was an incredible feat by itself. And then to get back on the bike so quickly. I believe he was training throughout his treatment with chemotherapy. I cannot even imagine how challenging it must have been to bike getting the treatment he was getting. And it's unfathomable to me. It's really, it's incredible. And then to obviously compete and win all these titles again, doping aside, it's really is truly amazing. So it makes sense that this was as big of a story as it was at the time. Using this as our initial framework, I want to first briefly review male anatomy so we know what we're working with. And then I want to talk more about testicular cancer in general. Obviously, any type of cancer is a huge topic, so I'm really just touching on it. This is just an overview to give you a basic idea. This is not in in-depth lecture on cancer, just so we're on the same page. But let's start with a little review of general anatomy. If you've listened to my other episodes this month about sexual and reproductive health, I always make a similar disclaimer, but in case you haven't heard it, not everybody with testicles identifies as a man and not everybody who identifies as male has testicles. So I just wanna make that clear while I'm using language, In this episode, like men and male, to describe testicular cancer, what I'm describing can affect anybody with a testicle. First, let's review the scrotum. What is the scrotum? This is basically a pouch or a sack. You may have heard that term. That houses your testes. The testicle is a little reproductive organ that is the equivalent to ovaries in females. The main function of testicles is to make sperm which carry dad's DNA and can fertilize an egg and make a baby. And the other objective of the testicles is to make testosterone, which is the primary male hormone. What else is in the scrotum? There is a very, very, very tightly coiled little tube called the epididymis that comes from your testes to transport sperm. Then there is something called your spermatic quorum, which basically is just full of a bunch of tubes. So It's a thick cord or tube that within it has lymph and blood vessels, nerves, and something called your vas deferens, which also transports sperm out of your scrotum to get it where it needs to be. The scrotum overall is there to house all these things and to protect your testes. So it's both a physical barrier to keep it safe and it also can help with temperature regulation. So that is the area we're focusing on today. In a normal healthy scrotum, the testicle should be ovoid, so like egg-shaped and smooth, so not lumpy. And you should be able to move the testicle around freely within your scrotum. Now that we know the region a little bit better, I already mentioned that testicular cancer is the most common solid tumor affecting males between the ages 15 and 35. Solid tumor means that it affects a solid organ as opposed to a liquid tumor, which is a tumor affecting like the blood or the bone marrow, like something like leukemia. Testicular cancer is also one of the most curable solid cancers with a five-year survival rate of 95%. So 95% of people survive five years after being diagnosed with testicular cancer, which is really, really great. There are multiple different types of testicular cancer, and they're named for the types of cells that they come from. So cancer in general comes from one bad cell that replicates and replicates, and it makes a lot of cancer cells. There are multiple different types of cells that make up your testicle. So the one cell that goes bad and is cancerous can vary. It can come from any of the different cells. The most common type of testicular cancer is called a germ cell tumor, which means that one bad cell is a germ cell. A germ cell basically means the preliminary cell that will become a sperm. 95% of testicular cancers are coming from germ cells. So now I want to touch on some of the risk factors for testicular cancer. So what may make one person more likely to develop testicular cancer? The first risk factor is something called cryptorganism. So that you may have heard of in the terms of like, if your balls don't drop, but this basically means your testicles don't descend from your abdomen. So your testes always start in your abdomen like ovaries do and eventually they should descend into your scrotum and usually at the time of birth your testes are present in the scrotum sometimes at birth they're still in your abdomen and they'll slowly make their way into the scrotum in the first couple years of life but for some people the testes are still in the abdomen at birth and they don't descend on their own and then you can get them surgically repositioned with a procedure called an orchiopexy Getting this procedure will then decrease your risk of testicular cancers. but having them in the abdomen for any length of time longer than they should be increases your risk overall. Another risk factor is contralateral testicular cancer. So contralateral means the other side. So if you have cancer in one testicle, you might be more likely to have it later on on the other testicle. A family history of testicular cancer is a risk factor. This is the case not in all, but in many cancers, there's a genetic component. So there's usually a link between family history and developing it yourself. And there's a variety of other genetic disorders that can increase your risk of testicular cancers. How does testicular cancer usually present? Like I said, with solid tumors, you can worry about the local complications. So how they affect the space that they're in and the distal complications. So if it's spread, how has, can it affect other parts of your body? Testicular tumors usually present as like a lump or swelling in one testicle. It's usually not painful. So that was unique about Lance's presentation that he had had prolonged scrotal pain before seeking medical attention. And usually because these lumps or the swelling is not painful, it's usually found by accident. So if you're bathing, masturbating, getting dressed, anything wherein you're touching that area you might notice a lump without exactly looking for it or a lot of the time. And like in the case of the show Sex Education, it's found by a sexual partner. Many of the patients will initially complain of like a dull ache or a heavy feeling in their lower abdomen or in their scrotum, but only about 10% of people present with pain in the testicle. So it's a pretty small fraction in an already very small group of people. So when a patient presents with testicular pain, there are several things that are much more common that your doctor might think about first. So these are things like architis, inflammation due to infection of the testes, epididymitis, which is inflammation of the epididymis, or something called torsion. So I spoke about ovarian torsion in our episode about endometriosis. And in that, I talked about how the ligament attached to the ovary twists and can cut off blood supply and testicular torsion. The testes can twist and that can cause the the spermatic cord that we mentioned earlier that's located partially in the scrotum to twist as well. And so again, if that cord is twisting and it contains the blood vessels, it can cut off blood supply and cause a lack of blood flow to the testes, which alone can be very painful and it can cause the tissue to die if the blood flow is obstructed for too long only about 10% of patients with testicular cancer initially present with symptoms due to metastasis or spread of the tumor. This was the case in Lance Armstrong. So already pretty rare presentation presenting with pain, which is not common and presenting with these metastatic symptoms. So he had that local complication. He had that pain in that testicle, but he also had symptoms due to the other parts of the body that were affected. In general, those symptoms can include lumps on your neck. If it spreads to the lymph nodes in your neck, you can have a cough or trouble breathing. If you have spread to your lungs or coughing up blood like Lance did, you can lose your appetite or have vomiting or GI bleeding. If it's spread to your GI tract, you can have back pain. If it spreads to your back or you can have bone pain if it spreads to your bones. You can also have symptoms of your nervous system if that's affected. So it can spread to your brain, your spine, your nerves. And this part I didn't mention in the excerpts that I read, but I read, I think, from another source that Lance Armstrong also had a headache and blurry vision for quite some time before seeking medical attention. And so that makes sense, given that he had tumors in his brain. So if you present with any of these symptoms, how do you work up testicular cancer? First off, in anyone presenting with a mass in their testicle, testicular cancer is considered the diagnosis until you prove otherwise. So guilty until proven innocent. If you have a lump on your testicle, you assume it's cancer. The best prognosis, so your best chance for survival, is immediate intervention, like in Shrunk had. Even though he didn't seek help for quite some time, they acted immediately once he was diagnosed. He started getting treatment the next day. There are some reasons that could delay diagnosis or treatment. For one, for patients who have a painless mass in their scrotum, they might just ignore it because it's painless. It's not causing them any problems. They might not think much of it, so they might not seek any medical attention, like Lance Armstrong. He even did have pain, but because he could justify it by saying that it was from sitting on the bike, he didn't feel the need to see a doctor about it. It made sense that it hurt because he was sitting on it all day, so he didn't see a doctor. And like I said, most cancers are painless. So if you present and you're having a lot of pain in the scrotum, you might not get treatment right away because your doctor might think it's something else, like those things I mentioned earlier. So something infectious or inflammatory. And this is fair because these things are much more common than testicular cancer. So they might assume that something like orchitis or epididymitis is the diagnosis, and that might put off your treatment for a little bit too. But to work up testicular cancer, men with suspected testicular cancer should be worked up with an ultrasound followed by more imaging, measuring tumor markers in the blood, and procedures like a radical inguinal orchiectomy and sometimes a retroperitoneal lymph node dissection. I know these are a lot of big, weird words, so I'm going to get into each of these. So the first thing you do is get an ultrasound. This is a pretty easy type of imaging, and you can do it right in a clinic room, in your emergency department. It could be done at bedside. It's very simple, quick, affordable test. So it's a good starting point. It's a pretty quick and easy test that can give you some good information. It can assess the position, the size, the size, and any abnormal masses within your testicle, it can tell you whether the lump that you feel is in the testicle or in another part of the scrotum. If there is a distinct lump, it can assess whether it's solid or if it's filled with something like fluid. And it can assess if that lump has a lot of extra blood flow, um, which might indicate cancer. It can also look at blood flow to the testi overall. If blood supply is cut off, then you might think about torsion. This is extremely painful. So less likely in a painless presentation, and for like epididymitis, you might have signs of inflammation at the epididymis, but not always so. That's harder to rule in or out with an ultrasound, but there might be clues there. So the ultrasound could tell you a good amount, but it's not diagnostic by itself. Next, if the ultrasound makes you more suspicious or if it doesn't comfortably reassure you, the next step would be what's called a radical inguinal orchiectomy, which means removing the testicle. So this should be done both to get the testicle out of there. So if there is cancer on it, it lowers the risk of spreading but also to take a look at the testicle to figure out the exact type of tumor so you could target your treatment appropriately. So you can literally look at it under a microscope to figure out what kind of cells we have mutated here. You might be thinking, when you're suspicious of cancer, don't you usually get a biopsy? And that is true in most cancers. A biopsy is just taking out a a little piece, not removing the whole organ. So that's usually what's done. But in testicular cancer, a biopsy of the testicle is actually not recommended because it's associated with something called seeding, which is basically spreading of the cancer. So you might be increasing the risk that it spreads to other parts of your body by taking off that little piece for a biopsy. So it's recommended that instead of puncturing the lesion with a needle, you just take the whole thing out. So the other parts of the work that I mentioned are imaging methods beyond ultrasound. So first thing you guys an ultrasound, which we touched on, but If you take out the testicle and you confirm that it is cancer, you do want to see how it spread to the rest of the body. So you'll get a CT scan. That's what showed Lance Armstrong having all those tumors in his lungs and his abdomen. CT can look at the abdomen and chest to see if you have any lesions. Also, if you're suspicious that the cancer spread to the brain, like in the case of Lance Armstrong, again, you can get something called an MRI to get a really good picture at the brain and identify any cancer there. I also mentioned something called tumor markers, and what these are are specific proteins made only by cancer cells. So by measuring these markers in the blood, it can help establish your diagnosis, and it can help you with follow-up. If you track these markers over time, it can help you understand how well your cancer is responding to treatment. And the other thing I mentioned, the last one in the workup, is called a retroperitoneal lymph node dissection. Your peritoneum is the name of the membrane that lines your abdominal cavity. So the main things in your belly are within your peritoneum. So anything that's behind what's encased this membrane is retro means behind. The membrane is the peritoneum. So anything retro to the peritoneum is retroperitoneal. Your kidneys are back there, some big blood vessels like your aorta, you have lymph nodes back there. And so if your cancer spreads, from your testicle, those retroperitoneal lymph nodes are the first place it'll go. By removing these lymph nodes, you can assess them for cancer and get a better idea if your cancer has spread. Doing all of these things, getting the imaging, getting the blood markers, removing the testicle, looking at the lymph nodes, can all help to stage the cancer. I won't get too deep into staging, since again, this is an overview, but you may have heard of cancer stages before and staging. Basically, the goal is to account for the extent of disease and the degree of spread. The purpose of staging is two main things. The first is to figure out prognosis, and the other thing is to guide treatment. Different disease severity may require different types of treatment, and so by staging, it can help you to come up with your treatment plan. Something I have not mentioned yet, but I do want to talk about is testicular exams. You may have heard of these your doctor might recommend them. I have worked with doctors that recommend these to all young men to perform at home by themselves monthly. And I've worked with doctors that perform these on patients at routine clinic visits. Testicular exams are basically holding the scrotum in your hand and feeling for your testes between your thumb and your first two fingers to feel that it's smooth, that you can move it around, that you can separate it from other parts within the scrotum, like the epididymis and things like that. Any signs to the contrary, so if it's like stuck in place, if it's swollen, if it's lumpy, those are all signs that maybe you should get worked up. Doing these exams more often can help you know the baseline of what it feels like, and you, can compare, and you can compare both sides to each other to get an idea of what's normal and what's not. For Lance Armstrong, maybe if he had performed these exams more frequently, he would have found a lump much sooner. So patients can do these exams themselves at home. It's a very easy test to do. And doctors can also do them for patients as a screening method. I talked about screening in my last episode, but forgot to really define what it is. So a screening test means checking for diseases or any health conditions before there are any signs or symptoms. So catching it before you would know you have it. So if you're already having symptoms that tells you to get tested for something, you're past the screening phase. In the last episode on HPV, we talked about screening with pap smears. This is really helpful because pap smears can help identify cervical cancer early on and usually early cancer and pre-cancer doesn't have any symptoms. So symptoms usually don't occur until the cancer is larger and growing into nearby structures. And so at that point, it's already progressed quite a bit. However, There aren't really any studies that support that testicular exams are useful. Patients screening themselves at home or doctors doing this exam on people is not really helpful in detecting testicular cancer. There's not really a benefit for screening for cancer in this way because it's not common. And the curates are so good that even people with advanced disease by the time they present have a really good prognosis. This is different from cervical cancer because when cervical cancer is diagnosed early on, the five-year survival rate is 91%. But when cervical cancer is diagnosed, by the time you have symptoms, the five-year survival rate goes down to 60%. So that's a really dramatic difference. I mentioned that testicular screenings are so easy, which is true. So why wouldn't you screen if it may not be helpful? Like, could it be harmful? It might be. There's not a lot, again, of like actual evidence to support that it's helpful or harmful, but there are reasons it might be harmful. It could give you false positives. So if you find a lump that concerns you for cancer, but it isn't cancer, it could cause you to go under a lot of unnecessary workup. It can cause a lot of anxiety and stress with a false positive. You might get your testicle removed because that is part of the workup if you're really worried about testicular cancer. And... That is obviously a procedure, so that has risks, and it can influence your fertility. So there are some harms associated with regular screening, and there's not a clear benefit. So the only people that should really be doing testicular exams are people with symptoms. So if you feel that fullness in your abdomen or your scrotum, if your scrotum looks asymmetrical, so not equal on both sides, if you have swelling in one scrotum, if you do feel pain, then you should see your doctor and do a testicular exam to see if there's any kind of lump or mass, a lot of different professional groups. So organizations of like family medicine doctors or internal medicine doctors or urologists all have pretty mixed recommendations on when to screen. But overall, because like I said, a low amount of cases of testicular cancer and really good outcomes and some harms associated with screening, most of these organizations do not recommend routine screening in men without symptoms for testicular cancer. There are some again mixed recommendations for screening with people at higher risk. So I mentioned like those with a history of cryptorchidism or a known genetic syndrome, things like that. So if you are at higher risk for any reason, perhaps you might want to screen more frequently, but that's something you can discuss with your doctor. Okay. So That was an overview on testicular cancer. We talked about what's in the scrotum, how testicular cancer presents, how it's worked up, and if you should be screening yourself at home. If you're still with me, thank you for listening. I'm glad you're here. I hope you learned something. And if you have any recommendations for future topics, if you have any questions about this episode or anything I mentioned, you can contact me at mediapodcast at gmail.com or mediapodcastmdia on TikTok or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week.